again greeting tonight in his precious name. We love him because he first loved us. It's a blessing to be here. I was thoroughly blessed and challenged and filled. My heart was warmed with the messages and the workshop topics that we had this this afternoon. God bless each one who shared. And it's good to be here, and it's good to see the old tabernacle filled tonight. I'd like to give a bit of introduction to my life in Mount Olivet Campground before we begin the message. I first preached in this building probably 33 years ago. We, our congregation, conduct a weekend or a week. It starts on Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, Friday evening, all day Saturday and Sunday. A camp meeting here in this place every year. And this past July was year number 34. And I met the president of the Campground Association this evening out here. Talked to Roy Schaefer from New Jersey. And he is blessed to have you people here too. And there's a few other groups use it as well. They, the Campground Association, also have a camp meeting here, which ended just last Sunday evening. It's an interdenominational work. And the old place has a lot of memories behind it. For me and my children, my seven children came here every summer for 34 years. We have saw many souls saved at this altar right here. Brother Dale Heisey preached here. Brother John Overholt preached here, along with many other old preachers who are going on to their reward. And one of these days, Brother Dale and I are going to be going. And God bless you, young brethren, with a vision, a passion, and a fire to continue preaching the word of God. I recall one Sunday evening, An outpouring of God. Sinners cry for repentance. From that door to that door, it was lying solid. And it was the last night of the meetings, and we were going to all go home. But we felt that the meeting should go on. We were here some nights, way in the morning, hours, It was late that night, working with souls, letting them cry it through, letting them repent bitter tears down the old sawdust trail, letting them get rid of sin and confessing sin. A group of us brethren got together and said, we can't shut this thing down tonight. According to the schedule, we should, but we can't do it. So we announced and called around the next day and said, we're going to have camp meeting Monday night too. So we had camp meeting Monday night, camp meeting Tuesday night, camp meeting Wednesday night, camp meeting Thursday night. That followed thereafter. Of course, we didn't have special scheduled preachers for those nights. So we quick grabbed anybody we could. One of them was Denny Keniston. He has a stand right. He used to have a stand right out here in Dillsburg along Route 15 selling lawn furniture. He left the stand, come in here in his bib overalls and preach the gospel message that night. In fact, Denny preached here before charity ever begun. 
Denny and Paul Mason one summer from California. So I just want to say this place holds many dear memories. For me, this is actually my growing up community. I was born at the end of this road. If you go out here and turn left where the road ends, there used to be a little tenant house. There in that house, I was born 58 years ago. But thank God one day I was born a second time. Glory to God. I just wanted to update you on that, that it's a blessing to be with you people here. It's a blessing to sit that back and watch other people in the responsibilities. I am thoroughly blessed to be here. Would you continue to pray for my voice this evening? You have, and you're faithful, and God is faithful. And Brother Dale said, if you lose your voice and can't do nothing but whisper, then just whisper. We'll still praise the Lord. Yes, we will. The Bible says, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. doesn't say everything that has a voice. So even if we don't have a voice, we'll still <laughs> praise the Lord. <coughs> the topic tonight is the sanctifying reality of the word of God. God's word in this morning's message speaks truth into our hearts. The power of the spoken word. Our brother shared this afternoon about the power of the the inspiration of the written word. Tonight it's a sanctifying power and reality of the word of God. If you look your little word reality up in the dictionary, the first definition is truth. Honesty, factual, actual, real, genuine. That's what's reality. And I suppose there are many people that are not saved today simply because those who say they aren't saved aren't really saved. In fact, one man said, I'd be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. Because I'm convinced of the story, but not of the people. This precious word of God, when it comes on the sinner's ear and convicts him of his sin... And convinces him of his undoneness before a holy God. It brings him to salvation and repentance. And it brings him to the point where he becomes sorry for those sins. And he has a change of heart, change of mind. He confesses those sins. He forsakes those sins. That's part of what this sanctifying work is about. He forsakes those sins. He quits a sin business like the old brother used to preach. You change hitching posts for your horse. One brother in our congregation years ago was converted. And he said for the longest time after he was converted, every time he'd go into town, his horse still wanted to go into the bar. But he didn't go to the bar anymore. He didn't drink liquor anymore. He went on by the bar, but it took a while for him to train his horse to go on past the bar because his horse was so used to going in there to the bar and he'd hitch him at the hitching post outside the bar. So when you become sanctified and truly born again, you change hitching posts. You quit the sin business. You say goodbye to the world and to sin. And you let the truth of the eternal sanctifying power of God's word cleanse you in the beginning There's a cleansing, there's a forgiveness, there's a pardon when we embrace the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is constantly, from then on, a progressive 
sanctifying outworking of that truth in our hearts and lives. And if we ever get beyond that, we've gone too far. Where the truth of God has a reality, a fact of continually cleansing my heart from the sins, from the failures, the faults, the weaknesses of my flesh, my carnality, and whatever else you want to call it this evening, if God's word cannot and does not sanctify us from those things, it's not reality. It doesn't say Jesus came to save his people in their sins, but from their sins. There is a difference. Indeed, there is. Our ways are not naturally right. In the beginning, when God created man, I believe he created Adam and Eve in true holiness. Holiness is a sister word to sanctification in Scripture. And I believe Adam and Eve lost that holiness in the fall. That was a feature of God that they lost in the fall of sin that is restored again in Jesus Christ. That's what sanctifying is. I'd like to just think about sanctifying for a little bit. We first find the word sanctified in the second chapter of the book of Genesis. It says, and God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. It's always interesting to me, I appreciated so much the topic on Bible study this afternoon, that when we study the Bible, our brother made the comment that you can learn very easily how to study the Bible from the Bible. And one way is just to see what the Bible says about that same word other places in the Bible. And the first place that it's used is in Genesis chapter 2 there, God sanctified the seventh day. The word sanctifying simply means set apart. The word sanctified means it's not a usual, normal, uh, ordinary day like the other six days were. But it's unusual in the fact, it is distinguished from them, that it is set apart, not just for being different, not just because it's not ordinary, but it's set apart wholly unto God and for God. That's what the word sanctified means. When God told Moses and Aaron to build the temple, the tabernacle there, he told them to sanctify many things in that tabernacle. He even told them to sanctify Aaron. Told them to sanctify the priests, Aaron's sons. Told them to sanctify their clothing. Told them to sanctify the instruments that they used in all their uh, work that they performed there in the sanctuary. He said, sanctify them things. That means... <coughs> That Aaron and the Leviticus priesthood was set apart to minister only to the holy things of God. Aaron was not supposed to be a businessman down in town. Aaron was not supposed to be an ordinary, usual farmer, worker, businessman, factory man, salesman, whatever he might have been. But his job, his work was to be set apart from those ordinary things. And it was to be given solely for the purpose of God and his use. And his clothes is not the same clothes he used when he went out and worked in his garden in the evening. His clothes that he used in there was not the same clothes he wore to the family get-together. Those instruments, his utensils, and the lavers, and all the pots and the vessels that were sanctified were not the same ones they used at the benefit auction on Saturday down here. They were only ever explicitly to be used for the service of God. That means they were set apart 
from ordinary use that they might have been made and created for. They were not the same ones that hung in their kitchens down there, but they were in the tabernacle and they were to be used for the service of God. Separated unto God in holiness is what sanctified means. Set apart for God. Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness or sanctification in the Lord, in the fear of the Lord. That's God's will for your life this evening. That God's word gets into your heart as we closed our message this morning. It becomes engrafted, receive the engrafted word, James 1.21. That word engrafted means the same as when you take a tree and you open up a little area of that tree and you take another sprig and cut it off here and you stick it in that little opening and then you close that thing up. After a while, that little sprig that you stuck onto that that mother tree, that larger tree, begins to become attached and it actually grows. One time in Jamaica, I saw a tree that a man had grafted and he was quite proud of his tree, this old gentleman. He lived back back door from my father. He lived there for a number of years. And he showed me this tree that had grapefruits and oranges and lemons all in the same tree. Now, they weren't all, they didn't all mature at the same time. One was in blossom, one was still green, and the others were ripe. But they were all three on that tree. That's what the word engraft means. The engrafted word means it becomes part of your innermost being. The psalmist prayed in Psalms 51, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. We can know the word. We can have it in our head. I used to have it in my head. I used to memorize scripture as a boy. And I did outstanding in memory spelling bees at church or at school. Quoting scripture. But not until I was 17. And I got the word engrafted into my heart that it began to cleanse my ways. That's when the word became part of my innermost being. And that's what needs to take place. That's how God puts his law into your hearts and writes them upon your mind. It becomes cohesively attached. It becomes part of your innermost being. And that is where biblical convictions take their root and develop into practical applications in our life. And consequently, that's also why many people don't have convictions. We hear it all the time. Well, that's not my convictions. I don't have the same conviction, convictions my father and mother had, the church has, so I don't have to do those things. They say it's wrong, isn't it, to do things you don't have convictions for? Well, the problem is not that they don't have convictions. It's why they don't have convictions. That's the problem. When you get the word in your heart, Paul says, I delight after the law of God in the inner man, Romans chapter 7. In the inner man, when it becomes cohesively attached, uh, infused by the power of the Holy Ghost into your heart and soul, brothers and sisters, that's digging down until you reach the rock and you lay the foundation and build that house on the rock, Christ Jesus. And then you can sing with that song we heard tonight, that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Why? It's founded on a rock. The sanctifying power of the word of God has done its job thoroughly and deeply. Personally, not my father, nor my mother, nor my church. That's important. I'm not uh, underestimating that. But I have a personal relationship where I can make 
practical applications to the truth of God's biblical principles. And brethren, that's a sanctifying power of the work of the Holy Ghost in your heart and mind. Let's read on. <coughs> John chapter 15 is a chapter of Christ where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says in verse 3, now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Let's turn now to Ephesians chapter 5. That was one of the texts in the assignment here. Ephesians chapter 5 is a beautiful chapter. And we actually just look at this for a bit. There's many other verses in the scripture that talk about the, the power of sanctification and its work that it has in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 5 gives admonition for believers. And then it begins with the subject of the husband and wife relationship. And the verses that were given to me as part of the assignment was verse 26. I will read verse 25. Let's get the context of the writer. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. When is the last you read a truth in Scripture and the Holy Spirit and His faithfulness convicted you in an area in your life that you need to change and you changed it by God's grace? Brothers and sisters, that's what He wants to do in our hearts and lives. It seems like rather we try and justify the thing we're doing, say, well, everyone else is doing it. No one else seems to be a problem. So-and-so, they're Christians and they do it. What would be wrong with me doing something like that? And besides, it's not scriptural. Did you ever hear that? It's not biblical, is it? Christ wants to wash us of anything that is unsanctifying, anything that is unholy. And he wants to cleanse it and he wants to wash us in that, from that. Now, it says he sanctifies, and then he uses three words to explain the process. One of them is cleanse. One of them is, uh, uh, one of them is, uh, one of them is sanctify. One of them is cleanse. And one of them is washing. And I'd just like to look at those three words briefly. To sanctify means to make holy, to purify, to consecrate. When something's set apart holy for God, that's called consecration. When Hannah took little Samuel to the temple and gave him to Eli, she consecrated him unto the Lord. When you give yourself holy without reservation to Jesus Christ and his word and the authority and the power and the sanctifying truth that it has in our life, you're consecrated unto God. That's what sanctify also means, to consecrate. Separation to God and the cause of life befitting those so separated. You see, sanctifying, brother made a remark this afternoon about second work of grace. 
Well, God's work is more than just one, as he quoted. I say I agree with him in that. Indeed, it is. It's an ongoing, progressive power. It says in Corinthians, we are changed from glory to glory. And one day we're going to be changed into the last stage of that glorious life-changing experience and washing of water of sanctification. The next one is cleanse, which means to make clean. That's what these shower houses are up here for. They're so you can get a bath. That's what they're for, to make clean, to purge, to purify from the defilement of sin and from the guilt of sin. First John chapter 1 verse 9 was quoted by memory tonight. What does verse 9 say? Listen carefully to this verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and from all unrighteousness. We all live in guilt, sin, shame, and disgrace before we know Christ. I shouldn't say we all do. Some have a very minimal guilt experience. I'm just going to drop what I'm saying and say this. I know a brother, and many of you know him too, who said he knows very, very little about guilt. His parents were so thorough in disciplining and teaching and training and rearing him, and that's why you spank your children, father and mother, to cleanse away that bad feeling for committing wrongdoings that they have done until they are old enough to sense their own personal guilt and their own responsibility of making a choice for Christ. Then they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are thoroughly cleansed from all guilt, sin, and shame. And he said that time between them was extremely short for him. He says, I know very little about guilt and shame. Say, that's quite a testimony for you parents, is it not? To raise your children in such a state. But for the most of us, we committed sins, we rebelled, we disobeyed, we did many things that we knew we should not have been doing before we came to the cross of Jesus Christ and was cleansed and was forgiven our sins. But that verse says he not only forgives our sins, we hear a lot about God's forgiveness, But it says he cleanses also. And in addition to forgiveness, he cleanses us from most sin. From hereditary sin. From original sin. From all sin. All included. Don't let anyone tell you it's different. That's God's eternal word. From all. Deliverance from all sin. Hallelujah. That's the sanctifying power of the word of God. Washing has to be bathed, has to be washed, like you wash the dishes down here in the kitchen. This word also here speaks of baptism, but it speaks of the effect of God's word when applied, how it washes us from defilements and carnality. And that same word is used in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, where it's talking about the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. Do you have that experience this evening? And are you continually walking in the truth of progressive sanctification? And is that sanctifying power a reality in your life this evening? That's the, that's the question here we have this evening. Now I'd just like to take some time here and get into this chapter and speak a little bit how some of these areas work in our life. I want to get a little practical tonight if you don't mind.
This context here is speaking of a husband and wife relationship. And Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, is using the experience of how Christ gave himself for the church, that he might cleanse it and sanctify it, so you husbands know how you might become a fit subject to give yourself for the cleansing and the beauty of your precious wife. Maybe we'll talk about them both. It's not God's will that the church is filled with defilement. He wants to cleanse her that he might present it to himself a glorious church. There's nothing more glorious than holiness and sanctification. Brethren and sisters, when you see people that's bound all their life in sin, when you see people that is chained to habits of smoke and drugs and, and fornication and immorality and all sorts of wickedness, changed and transformed and delivered by the power of Jesus Christ, and they never go back that way again, that is the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless His holy name. Oh, when she's full of sin, or He names three words here. The first one is a spot. That he might cleanse his church from spots. And I like just to think of that as the sins of the flesh. As we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh. And spirit. There are sins of the spirit. And then there are sins of the flesh. We normally think of sins of the flesh. And we think of those people out there living in immorality. And it's God's will that they would be cleansed from those spots and that they would not be amongst his people, the glorious bride of Jesus Christ. As Brother Dale alluded to this morning, when Christ says in that last day, I never knew you, that means you didn't know me. St. John 17 verse 3 says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and his son Jesus Christ. That's life eternal, being like Jesus So sins of the flesh include all that drunkenness and carrying on and immorality, all the wickedness, what we might call as gross sins, that's being committed in those who are, which we all were by nature, the children of wrath, walking the course of this world. God wants to sanctify his church from such defilements. Now, there's another verse of Scripture that was on my assignment, and that is Psalms 119, verse 9. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? We have a lot of young men here, and God bless you, everyone. You as young ladies, take notice of these young men, okay? (coughs) But you know, these young men can become spotted with the defilement of sin. Fathers, if any man comes and asks for the hand of your daughter and wife, you need to talk to that young man. I'll tell you, one relevant question you need to ask him is when is the last time you looked at pornography? I just asked a young man that recently. He said about a week ago. Online on my cell phone. That is spots. That Jesus wants to sanctify you from this evening. 
When I was a young fellow, we had to go out to the world to become involved with sin. We had to sneak over to the neighbor's house to watch television and all its indecency. Or we had to go into town where evil was abundant and abounding. But Satan has made it so easy today. It just comes right on in. Young men, Jesus wants to sanctify your cell phones tonight. He wants to wash you of looking at pornography. Whether it be on a screen or on a, in a book. It's a filthy, it, it, it's a habit that has taken many young men down, down, down. And it's a tremendous hard habit to break outside of the power of Jesus sanctifying, cleansing and washing and the power of his blood. All the uncleanness. All the immorality, all the fornication. The word uncleanness is mentioned in scripture often in the list of sins with adultery and fornication and idolatry. And it means, it doesn't mean uncleanness in the fact that you, 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 you ladies are working with red beets all day and your hands are all red. You need to get them washed. Or you men are out there working in the shop or in the car and your hands are all greasy. Or maybe you were in the cow barn and you have some other things on you. It could be a lot of things. That is not what that word unclean means. It doesn't mean dirt in your ears or rings around your neck or in your hair. But it means moral defilement. And it's God's will to cleanse you from moral defilement in whatever way, in whatever associations that you're living in this morning, this evening. And he wants to separate you from adultery. Now, my father is an old man. Yesterday morning, I went to where he stays at my sister's and I picked him up and I kept him for the day. I left him with my son so he could take him back to my sister's place when she got off work. I keep him one day a week. His mind's pretty alert, although he is rather toppling. He's 85. Two years ago, on Easter Day, he was at my house for lunch. There's a brother in our congregation that works at a truck garage, and this man come in there to get his truck worked on, and they got talking about spiritual things, and he, this, he, he's seen this man's really a spiritual man. He loves the Lord. He likes talking about the Lord, and so uh, Brother Philip invited him to church Sunday morning. Don't you know? He lived over an hour away, but him and his wife came to church. Didn't know any of us. Came in there, and after church, they were back there in the back, shaking hands to everybody, and She's from the south. You know, she had that southern draw, and she was just so happy and blessed to be there. And uh, this just a wonderful service. And I said, well, would you folks like to go home to our place for lunch? Well, she, he looked at her, and she yeah, yeah, we'll go along home. So we took him home, and we had a lot of people there that day for lunch. And we set them down over here on the table, and my father sat beside that man and a, a number of other people there. And, and, oh, they just romped and raved about how, how this, this meal was just so good, you know. I guess about the only thing we didn't have a table of light was dumplings and black-eyed peas. But anyhow, we, we had this ham dinner that day. And, and uh, I caught a statement from this man. And he was talking about how the Lord gave him his wife. You see, she's my new wife, she was telling my father. He was telling my father, the Lord gave her to me. She's my new wife. And I thought, mister, watch what you're saying. And before they left the table, I seen my father reaching over to his ear, and they were talking real low. 
Well, after we got up from the table, we went into the living room to sit down. <coughs> My father got his Bible. He was 82 then. He's 85 now. 83, I guess he'd have been. He sat over there in his chair, and that man sat on a little, we call it a love seat. It's a seat for two. He sat there with his Bible, and I sat over on the couch, and there was another brother or two there. And my father began to speak to him about his new wife because he told him his first wife was still living, you see. And I thought my father was a little hard on this man, and he really gave it to him. I mean, he would take the scripture, and he said, now I want you to read that verse. What does it say? So this man, he would read this verse, and... Uh, now, what do you think that means? Does that mean while your first life wife lives, you commit adultery if you're married to the second? Well, well, well I suppose so. Well, 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 what do you mean? He says, well, I guess so. I seen this man was getting very uncomfortable. And he said, well, what are you going to do about it? And then he'd take him to another scripture, and he just kept on this man. I thought, well, he's getting a little bit too carried away here. Well, in the process of time, the lady's got the dishes done, and this man's wife sat in the room next to us on a little couch there, and I seen after a while she began to listen on our conversation. She was no longer interested in what the ladies were saying, so she grabbed her Bible, and she comes in and sits beside her husband. So, you know what happened? My father went through the whole thing again with her. And when she sat down beside him, he said, he'll grill you. said, he, he will. And he did. You know, an <coughs> amazing thing took place. <coughs> that woman said, I always knew that's what the Bible meant. She said, I never was comfortable with this marriage. And I mean, her husband was getting very uneasy. And she began to weep. <coughs> and right there that day, I saw the sanctifying power of God become a reality in her life. She said, you know, when I grew up, my pop was a preacher, and we never used to allow divorce and remarriage. But after a while, little by little, they started letting associate members in the church that were divorced and remarried. Then after a while, any member could become divorced and remarried. And she said, found my father, he even was divorced and remarried. And she said, when we got married, our pastor told us it's okay. It's all right. You know what happened? That wife went home, packed her bags, and headed back south. That man lost his wife at our house. We've never seen him since. My wife got a letter from her saying the next day she packed her bags and got on the train and headed back down to where she was from, whatever southern state it was. The power of God's sanctifying word. Now I wonder sometimes, as I thought of that story, I watched it transpire right in my, in my living room. I wonder sometimes, although we are not guilty of that sin, if maybe we haven't violated some biblical fidelities in the same way, living in violation to scriptures, maybe in our relationship, not with our wife, but to the church, to the brotherhood, to those we associate with, whoever it might be that lives around us.
Those are spots, those sins. Young man, cleanse yourself from that. Young ladies as well, cleanse yourself from all unrighteousness. Indeed, all those spots, let the power of God. The next word is wrinkle, which means a folding in and a drawing together, simply to myself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cooperative, maybe in my church. I'm just, I, I have a wrinkle there. It's not right. It's not what God wants in his church. I'm not a participant like we've been heard here. I'm just a, a spectating, uh, non-participating bench warmer. And I don't help much with the work of the church. I don't get much involved. I'm not cooperative. I'm indifferent. I'm individualistic. I have my own agenda. I'll do my thing. Those are the wrinkles that the sanctifying power of God wants to cleanse us from and pour the unity of the Holy Ghost upon us that it says how good and how pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. Why well, he said it's like the dew from Mount Hermon which flowed down there <coughs> from the mountains of Hermon. Even the blessing that the Lord commanded. God commands a blessing when brethren dwell together in unity. But you know the scripture is also true in the opposite of things it says. When we do not dwell together in unity, in unity, God withdraws his blessing from us. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart. Purity is another word for sanctification. For they shall see God. But that verse also is saying, if I'm not pure, I will not see God. I cannot be dabbling around in this immorality. I cannot be flirting with the world. I cannot be playing tight and loose with God. I can't be one person at church and one at kingdom fellowship or when I'm around the saints and another person at work, another person when I'm out there in town. God wants to cleanse us from those wrinkles. He wants to wash us and cleanse us from them. The last thing is a blemish, which means a flaw, a disfigurement, an impairment. And maybe they are sins of the spirit. Maybe we're not fornicators tonight, but the sanctifying power of God goes farther than moral sins. Sins of anger, sins of hate, sins of bitterness, sins of malice, sins of holding grudges, sins of not releasing someone, sins of evil speaking about my brethren, slanders, discordant things. Those are blemishes that impair us for the work of God that the Holy Spirit wants to cleanse us from tonight. Let him do it. There's a lot of sins we could say there. Maybe I'll drop this yet. I'm not here to win a popularity contest. And I don't want to be here to scold anyone. It sound too old-fashioned, but brothers and sisters... I really believe we have failed largely when we fail to apply scriptural to practical applications in our own life and in our congregations and in our families. Let me explain. One of the sins of the day and age in which we live is the sin of exposing nakedness. Rolling up the sleeves or cutting them totally off Sisters, ladies with the tops, very popular, getting lower and lower and lower. Or making your dresses tight-fitting. Or wearing a sweater or jacket or something that buttons right under the blessed line so it pulls a dress in. 
Is there any scriptural application for those things? You might say, well, now come on, brother, get real. They're not, they're not, that's not Bible. One church hung a sign in its door. It said, we don't get hung up in doctrine. Some of you probably know who that church is. I won't say where it's from. We don't get hung up in doctrine. You know, we have little girls in our homes. And aren't they a blessing? How many of you fathers and mothers are glad for your little girls? Glory to God. Aren't they beautiful? One of the things those little girls are taught to do in your home is what? Wash dishes. Sanctify the dishes. Cleanse the dishes. Bathe the dishes. Now, the Bible has a principle that says children are to bathe their parents. So we would rightly say that it is good for them to listen to their parents and to wash dishes. But what would you do if your little girl stood up and said, it's not biblical. Show me a verse in a chapter where it says, I have to wash dishes. It's a man-made rule. It's tradition. Well, it is tradition. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. It is probably a man-made rule, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Now, maybe you don't mind drinking your your orange juice for breakfast with the same glass you drank your chocolate milk out of the night before and don't wash it. Maybe that's not a problem to you. Or maybe you don't mind eating your pancakes in the morning off the same uh, plate that you ate your spaghetti off of for supper the night before without washing them. Maybe that's not an issue. But I do. I like a clean plate for my pancakes. I like a clean glass when I drink orange juice in the morning. But it's really not biblical. No, it really isn't. But it's good. It's good. And while the Bible doesn't say in particular that it's wrong to expose and uncover your nakedness, there is many verses of Scripture, starting in the book of Genesis. That's the first question. God asked Adam, second question, excuse me, the first one was, Adam, where art thou? He hid himself under some temporary fig leaves, which is probably more clothes than some people wear today. But he hid himself from the presence of God. And when God finally cornered him in that corner, he says, Adam, where art you? Don't you think it should have been the other way around? Shouldn't have been Adam running through the garden saying, Oh God, where are you? I have sinned. I've taken on the forbidden fruit. God, where are you? But you know, the heart of man don't work that way, does it? But God found him. And the first question he asked him was, who told you you're naked? There's something about uncovering the nakedness of our bodies that relates very closely with that original sin in the garden. And God took coats of skin and clothed them. And that's the biblical word you need to use to make practical applications on how to dress. Clothe them. That's the sanctifying reality of the word. You'll find that word clothe many different places throughout scripture. The legion that was cured, it couldn't keep clothes on, couldn't hold him by chains. After he was set free from the devils, it says he was clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's the work of the sanctifying power of the word of God. It says John the Baptist was not like people picture him in storybooks where some little scanty thing here of a camel's hair right around the midsection only, but it said he was clothed. And that word clothed means completely dressed and covered. It says in the book of Revelation, the Laodicean church, 
There's many other instances we could go to. We won't have time to do that. How God cursed Noah's son for looking on his nakedness. How God was angry with those there around the golden calf. When Aaron made them, uh, they were naked and on and on and on. There's many, many scriptures. Brethren and sisters, just because the world doesn't and just because it feels good and I can't stand the heat and it just feels so much better doesn't mean that God's sanctifying power doesn't give you some convictions to keep your body thoroughly clothed. Take that from me in love, brother. I love you. I wouldn't have said it. We heard much this weekend about going out, going out, witnessing, speaking truth. The sad part is many of those worldly people coming in have said this. We're coming in, but so many of them are going out. Something's wrong. It's the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God in our life. Let the sanctifying power of the principles of God's Word regulate the music you listen to. And I just want to say this. I used to sing the popular songs. I'm ashamed to tell you that, young people. When I was a sinner, I listened to the radio and I loved them and I could sing them all word for word. You know, one day Jesus put a new song in my heart. But you know what happens occasionally? I get into these stores and business places where they're playing the oldies. And there they are, Simon and Garfunkel, the Beatles, and a whole bunch of them. They're there. And the old devil just brings that right back to me again. And I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that I can forget for the most part all that trash. But you know, when you're truly converted, something comes out like that little baby when he's born in your home. One of the doctors, first things they want to hear from that baby is to hear it cry. Why? Because they know it's alive if it cries. One of ours was born and it was blue and the doctor was rubbing. <coughs> she couldn't get no breath to come out of this baby. And I seen she was getting a little excited. But after a while, out it came. And did he ever let her go? He bet her ten. That's life. And so when you're born of the Spirit, I think songs and hymns of praises should come out of your mouth. I don't think you need music as much as you think you do. Here again, take this from me in love. I think the song needs to be in your heart. And it's beautiful. I listen to some some tapes and, and, and CDs. It's a good way to learn new songs. Indeed it is. And it's been a blessing to my life. But brothers and sisters, I fear it has robbed the hearts from our hearts. And instead of being hung on the willow trays, they're hung on the CD player. And we don't have a song. I'm grateful for my dear mother who lived in an old stone house right up here, six miles up Route 74. As a little boy, I'd be riding my tricycle and I'd come up to the kitchen window and press my nose against the screen in the summer and say, Mom, how many more days is it till school starts? And my mother was in that old kitchen working and she always was singing the hymns of Zion. I'm grateful that I have that memory of my mother. I cherish that. Mothers, sing to your children. Families, sing together. Let there be an expression of the sanctification, the glory, and the power of God. Come forth. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself. And be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Where? 
in your hearts. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead and listen to your music, but let the sanctifying power of God wean you from so much it's called Christian today. And let the Holy Ghost put the song in your heart. There are a lot of things we could talk about this evening. And my time is about up. I'd just like to drop a few notes yet before I finish on the literal context of this scripture. Because I believe there are a lot of wives that have spots and wrinkles and blemishes. And it's a burden in my heart. And God is using these words through the writings of Apostle Paul to tell husbands that they should not be bitter against their wives, but they should love them so that they can cleanse them from all spots. What does he say in the book of Psalm of Solomon? Thou art altogether lovely. There is no spot. No spot in thee. I've been married for over 40 years. And I told this young couple here, this young couple's getting married next Saturday. Bless you for being here. You probably could have said, well, I, I can't sing there. I can't do this. I, we're getting married. Bless your heart. Young men, take a look. Maybe you ought to talk to that young man after church, you other young men. He's, you know, he's got something going there, and it's good. It's good. I will that the younger women marry. It was written by the same hand that wrote, I would that all men would abide as I. If God's called you to a single life in service to him, go for it. But otherwise, let God choose a partner for you and go for that. But you know, Peter tells husbands to dwell with their wives according to knowledge and give honor to them as under the weaker vessel so that your prayers be not hindered. And I believe this spot here is a moral failure. And men, let the sanctifying power of God keep your eyes where they belong. Men, let the sanctifying power of God keep your eyes off of the wrong ladies and be a one woman man. I'm thankful for godly married life. You see, we didn't have a lot of training like you young people had. I tell people my wife took a tremendous risk marrying me. But there's one thing in our favor, and it's the most important thing. We both were thoroughly, soundly, and genuinely converted before we were married. Just before we were married. We had been church members going along so-so. But we found our way to an old-fashioned altar, a mourner's bench, and prayed and prayed till we knew we passed from death into life. And that is experience, brothers and sisters. I credit our marriage, which has been a haven of bless. I tell you, brothers and sisters, I can hardly sympathize for the so many hurting marriages out there. But it's God's will to sanctify and purify your marriage into the reality of God's unchanging truth and love. So husbands, give yourself that you can cleanse, keep yourself pure. And wives, thank your husbands when they come home. A lot of wives wish they had a husband that would come home and he don't. And husbands, thank your wives for their faithfulness. Husbands come home and their house is empty and they don't have a wife. But may God's sanctifying power work in our relationship so that there's no spot in my wife's beautiful Beautiful character. She's a glorious wife. The next one is a wrinkle. Fold it in. 
a woman that is withdrawn into herself, a woman that's suffering from hurts because of an inconsiderate husband. Inconsiderate in his workload, in his expectations. I tell you, it would do every one of us men to reverse the roles for a while. And when it says dwell with your wife according to knowledge, that means understand how it would be for you to be in her shoes and have to submit to you. And men think that their wives, their ladies are made up like they are. And they can't understand why they cry and why they're so intricate and why they're so tender and delicate and why they, they don't get over this and why they have to get so upset about this. Peter says, dwell with them according to knowledge. Learn what makes your wife tick. She's wired up different than you are. And I tell you, beautiful is the results. When a husband lays his life, his ego, his masculine pride down for the lovely wife and it does not demand and require more expectations of her than he would want to be of himself required to do. The last one is a blemish. And this is probably one of the greatest problems in marriages today. I'd like to just use this for a blemish in a wife is a wife whose role is unfulfilled because she does not have a godly husband that gives direction and leadership in their home. And I tell you, husbands, it hurts. One of the things in my prayer list is the hurting wives and children of inconsiderate, unfaithful, and carnal husbands. And the grief and the rejection and the agony and the hurt that it puts our children through. God wants to sanctify our homes. If you're here tonight and you don't provide the leadership for your children and your dear wife. If you don't take the godly stand. One of our couple's nights we did this. We had each husband write the three most important things of a wife to him. And we had the wives write the three most important things to a wife. I'm not, my hour's not up yet. I'm past time but I didn't get up here quite in time. So bear with me. We had the wife also write the three most important times down <coughs> or, or things down that she needs as a husband. And then we put them in a basket and we read them off. We didn't, nobody knew any names. And by far, the first most important thing to all those wives was to have a spiritual husband that gives leadership and direction in our home. And there's so many wheat-bellied so many unspiritual, carnal men floating along and so wrapped up in their business, so wrapped up in whatever it might be, that they neglect, they neglect the tremendous responsibility of being priest, prophet, provider in the home for their wives and their children. Let's let the sanctifying power of God work that in our marriages as well. God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you during this time. Let's let the word of God take root in our heart. And then let's open our lives and examine everything we do or don't do in light of these blessed principles. And brethren, if we don't make application, we have a dead faith. We can say hallelujah and praise the Lord. and We're leading people to Jesus and we love Jesus all we want. But our brother said, if we don't live it, 
if there's not an expression of that faith in our hearts, we have yet to begin. God bless you.